Join From Beer to the Bible every week as Irvin Lee and co-host Sarah Oliveira McDonald warn others of the consequences of drug and alcohol addiction by being the voice of faith-based recovery. Every week, Irvin and Sarah help people get access to the treatment and counseling they so desperately need. They explore the depths of addiction and give practical life examples of how to recover and develop a new rhythm of living. The show is gritty, authentic, and simply raw while being rooted in the love, faith, and hope of God. Welcome to From Beer to the Bible. Hi, and welcome to From Beer to the Bible. I'm your co-host, Sarah McDonald, and today we have our guest co-host, Anika Cooper. Hi, Anika. Hi, how are you? Good. If you would like, follow, and share at FromBeerToTheBible.com, we'd appreciate it. As always, we're going to come to you in the Word. Today we are coming to you from Romans 8.37. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved Jesus. That wasn't the Word. Romans 8.37. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. All right. Getting into it, we got Anika Cooper today. Hi, Anika. Hi. I'm doing this again. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> okay, the title for the show today is Overcoming Shame and Addiction and Mental Health. Anika. Yes. Hi. Good to see you. Thank you. Good uh, to be here. Anika is a very good friend of mine for over 10 years. She suffered addiction and mental health. I've seen her in her triumphs and her struggles and just wanted to have you on today and um this month is Mental Health Month, so we are wearing green for Mental Health Month. And just wanted to kind of get to know you a little bit, get our viewers to know you, a little bit about your story, where okay. you started, um, and then we'll kind of go from there. All right. Thank you. Well, um, I'm grateful to be here. Thank you for having me. Anytime I can talk about Jesus is a blessing and what he has done in my life through the triumphs and the struggles, which have been many. Um, I got, I have a story like a lot of others, parents divorced, didn't feel a part of, they separated. Um, at 19, I got into uh, drinking. I started drinking at 11, got in, started smoking marijuana. Um, we, you know, I, I went from drinking to marijuana, to ecstasy, to uh, cocaine, to meth. And meth was what really, um, I would say, stripped me of everything. And at the age of 19, uh, my parents tricked me on my birthday, August 7th of 1995, and told me that we were going to go shopping. And they got to eat and go shopping. They got me in the car. And um, we went to eat. And after we went to eat, they told me that we were going to go to the mall. And we pulled up. You know, I was out of it. I weighed 85 pounds soaking wet. And we were out of it. And I we pulled up to uh, Timberlawn Treatment Center, which is no longer around. And I was like trying to jump out of the car. My stepdad was 6'4", and he tried to, cause the thought of, like I knew what this place was gonna do. They were gonna take away my best friend. Yep. My best friend that finally gave me the sense of ease and comfort that I seeked so desperately all my life. Um, and I, jumped out of the car he caught me i went inside and i said okay i'll do this um this little whatever y'all have me do this assessment but they're going to tell you the same thing is that i don't have a problem i come out of that assessment an hour later and sure enough i they asked me to stay 
in this treatment center. So I detoxed for seven days, my insurance cut out. What caught my attention while I was there? And I believe now I know, I did not know God when I got sober. I had no, I, I had no relationship, didn't know you could have a relationship, didn't know I could talk to him like I'm talking to you. Um, he was just some figure up in the sky that we went to church on Easter and sure. Christmas to celebrate, right? Yeah. And I got pinched for talking too much or whatever the case was. And um, now I know that he grabbed a hold of me that day. That was his divine intervention for me. Absolutely. And it, the love story began there and it has, it hasn't stopped. And I went, I did what people told me to do. I went to a 12 step fellowship. I lived in a sober living house for 18 months. I mean, I'm 19 at this point. Yeah. Like I'm thinking Young. there's no way. Yeah. There's no way I'm going to be able to stay. And I didn't have a desire to, Yeah, I just didn't want to do what I was doing and I needed to appease my parents. Sure. So started doing what everybody else did. Luckily they had fun events when I got sober. Um, cause I was 19, didn't, you know, having to do step work, get a sponsor, all of these things was not something that I was thinking that I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And I definitely didn't want to stop using mood or mind altering chemicals at that point. I yeah. thought, okay, I'll do it for a few months. And after following everybody around to the meetings, to these events, having a sponsor, starting to work the 12 steps, I had a third step experience where, um, which is, um, you know, giving our will and our life over to God, right? I was in a bad relationship, which now I know was my trauma. I didn't know that at the time because I kept thinking, what's wrong with me? Why do I keep getting into these bad relationships yep. over and over? So at the time I had no idea. I just remember going to a meeting and I was crying every day and they were like, have you, you know, if you get in enough pain, get on your knees and just ask God, whether you believe in him or not, ask God to help you. Yeah. I'll never forget the day I was in pain again, in a ball on my, you know, on the floor crying. And I remembered what they said. And um, I went in the bathroom in my sober living and I got on my knees and I said, it makes me emotional, but um, if you're out there, if you're real, if anything, like help me because I can't do this anymore because yeah. the pain was so intense because I didn't have the drugs and alcohol anymore. Yeah. Like now it's like all the feelings Raw. are there. All the stuff from my past, present, everything was there. and. I can tell you from that day forward, did I have this big red, you know, burning bush experience? No, but the hand of God has been on me since that day. And there is no doubt about it. It has been a very long process to get to the place where I can even say the name Jesus. Yeah. When I, even after that moment, I couldn't, I could, when people said the name Jesus, and I'm sharing this because there's people out there watching this right now, that when they hear the word Jesus, they feel shame, guilt. It's Cringe. like, oh my God, that's too much. Like you're pushing it, like stop pushing him on me, right? Yeah. And that's how I felt, songs, everything. I was like, oh my, you know, you could say God to me and I was like, okay, that's, but when you started talking about Jesus and I didn't realize why that was, and he, he put people in front of me that loved him, Yeah. that loved him. They became my best friends. And so they'd be like, come to church with me. So I'm going to this church, um, Friendship West, in, um, I think it's in DeSoto, it's in Dallas, um, Freddie Haynes, and I'm going to church. I'm like, you know, I'm feeling the spirit. I'm walking up to the altar, not knowing why I'm walking up to the altar. And I'm still doing all the things, mind you, I'm still doing all the things that I had done prior to falling in love with, 
with uh, Jesus. Besides drinking. Besides drinking. Oh, yeah. So what I'm still examples. So examples is getting into bad relationships, getting into relationships with married men, um, doing things that uh, selling. I mean, I even sold um, pills that somebody gave me. Like I was doing things that went against what now are my I know are my morals and beliefs. Sure. But I was still doing those things, but I would go up to the altar and ask for forgiveness. At least I knew, like, that's why they say churches are not for people who are well. They're for people who are sick that yes. want to be well. Yes. And that's what it was for me. I was so broken. I had no idea why I kept doing the things I did. I just kept doing the steps. I kept doing those, you know, I kept working my 12-step program. But at the same time, he was pulling me. Mm -hmm. This love story that he that he wanted to create was just, it was to the point where I couldn't ignore it right? Like he kept putting me in front of people who loved him. And so working the steps, the 11th step is what brought me to this place of, you know, uh, prayer and meditation got me closer to him, helping others get, every time I sit with a woman and help her get through the steps, it helps me get closer to him. Yep. And, um, through that I was going, I was in a um, really bad relationship and I couldn't get out. I could not, I said every day I would get out. I'm going to get out here. I'm going to do this. I'm going to, I'm going to block him here. I'm going to do this. Well, one morning I had blocked him. The pain was so great. And I went to Friendship West and the message was exactly, it was a rainbow word, right? I don't know if you know, that is like a word that is straight to you. Yep. And I heard it and Freddie Haynes never does altar calls. He just, I mean, he, every once in a while, but this day, and as I was sitting in the audience and the, I, I thought, what if blocking him was a little bit extreme? Like, I think that's a little too much. Maybe I'll just unblock him when I get out of church. And he said, as I'm, he did an altar call and I'm in so much pain. And one thing that I knew that I had a little bit of is some faith. Yeah. I knew that if I publicly walked up there after being called and having that in my spirit to walk up there, something powerful was going to happen. Yeah. So I got up to start walking up to the front. And mind you, I'm the only, I'm maybe one out of five um, white people in this church. <laughs> so I had to completely let go of any fears of what was going to be any judgment or any of that right so i get up i start walking down and he says if you need to block this person then you need to block them that's what's going to give you your your breakthrough yeah. and i was like and i like how does how can you explain having a thought and it coming out of his mouth you can't like there's yeah. no kind of physical like i can't scientifically explain that i can't yeah and so that's what grew my faith um and from that, it just grew and grew. I didn't stop doing, still didn't stop getting in bad relationships because there was something, some trauma in me that hadn't been healed. There was some healing that needed to be done. Um, I believe that prayer is very powerful and sometimes prayer can immediately work and sometimes it takes action. You know, faith without works is dead. And yeah. um, I had another situation where I was, um, we were doing, um, you know, the beginning of the year, you always do like, a, a um, what is it called? Resolution. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was sitting in there. We were going to do a 21 day fast and I was doing pharmaceutical sales at the time. And I thought I can't do I, in my mind. I was like, I can't do food because I got all these lunches and I heard clear as day. This boy, I felt this present sitting to the right of me say cigarettes. You have to give up cigarettes. I was like, <laughs> no, 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 not going to happen. Okay. And because it was my last vice. Yeah. Well, besides the men, but that was one of my biggest vices. And he said, um, like I saw this hand and I saw this black, you know, like you see spirits on TV, you know, that are going into whatever. Yeah. 
coming towards my mouth. And he said, every time you have the desire, I'll take it from you. I'll be like your best friend and I'll take that desire out of your mouth. And I have not smoked a cigarette since that day. That's incredible. So those, those are situations where it was automatically removed, right? But there's been many situations in my life where he doesn't remove it. Yeah. He doesn't remove the fear. He doesn't remove the, the um, behavior. He doesn't, you know, he allows me to continue to have faith in him even when he doesn't, when I can't hear him feel him or see him, yeah. which happens. I love that you said um, a love story with Jesus, because as women, you know, we grow up and fairy tales are a big part of our lives and we want to fall in love and we want to have that experience, you know, when we get older about getting married and having the kids and the white picket fence. And um, for you, your first love story or your love story seems to be Christ at the center yes. of everything. Yes. Talk to me a little bit about that and how that has impacted you, because you want to, you wanted to get married and have kids mm -hmm. and like do all that stuff too. But it seems to me as knowing you and as being your friend for this many years that Christ seems to be, you know, he's your love. Yes, yes. And so how has that helped you and how has that hurt you and how has that impacted your life? Well, it's funny because um, whenever I was starting this process, I asked um, the pastor, I was like, when am I going to meet the one? And he said, when you become the one right and i didn't know what that meant and i always wanted i kept seeking something to fulfill me i kept seeking that guy but i would choose people who were unavailable to me um and the love story is that my codependency took me to a place where probably my biggest darkness but it was also the places where god met me because it brought me to my knees to the point of desperation where i didn't want to live anymore um and so this love story i was it has been it, I've been grateful for it, but it's also been frustrating, if that makes any sense, because I just want to do life and go and get married and have the kids and, you know, live this life. And Jesus was like, I've got a lot for you to do. Like, and he kept pulling me and pulling me. And, um, you know, I, whenever I was going to write my book on codependency, I went to Montana and I talked about this last time and I asked God, what do you want me to tell people? Why do you want me to do this so bad? And he said, I want you to tell them about our love story. And I believe that a lot of people know they love God because what he does for them, or, you know, but they don't understand his love for them. Yeah. They don't know that love on a deep level, which causes us to live differently. It causes yeah. us to choose differently. It causes us to walk differently. And I believe, I mean, I have been a friend of mine had a um, God speak to them about, I've been forging her for something great. I'm tired of being forged, right? Mm -hmm. But love is you don't, you hang in there no matter what. You, you walk through it no matter what. I don't walk away from him because he's forging me and putting me through the, when I looked up the word forge, it was putting in the fire and beating and um, with a hand, like hammering and beating. Mm -hmm. And that's how I felt in different moments of my life. Yeah. Um, the one with the Mary guy where I simply grace came about because of that, because of my just desperate desperation cry out. Um, and so the love story is, has been a painful love story, sure. right? And that's the power in it is that it wasn't always this, um, beautiful, you know, roses. It has been trusting him when I can't feel his love, sure. knowing that, he's there. I mean, the last 
three or four months, you talk about mental illness and not feeling him. I mean, I have felt like he is so far from me that I, I just kept getting up and reading his word. I just kept getting up. And to me, that's the love story is not quitting because I can't feel the love. Yeah. So many of our viewers out there, whether um, you're trying to get sober, whether you're a parent, um, hear what Anika's saying. Like, maybe your son or daughter is supposed to get sober, you know, five years from now or tomorrow, or, you know, they're supposed to suffer a little bit longer. Um, I think God just wants us to continue to seek him. And I love what you said about the love story. I love what you said about everything, actually. It gave me goosebumps. Um, just everything that you experience is kind of what I experienced, but a little bit differently. Um, but waking up every morning and continuing to have a faith is a common theme. Uh, waking up every morning and going to the word, even though you don't want to, um, he continues to pull you out of those depths. Um, talk to us a little bit. So how long have you been sober? 27 years. 27 years sober, but she still has and continues to have things put into her life, the thorns that we talk about, um, mental illness and smoking and shopping and mm -hmm. um, having to be busy. Talk to us about some of those other things that you've experienced throughout those 27 years um, and how you've kind of overcome that. You did speak about codependency. Will you mm -hmm. also share what that is? For people that might not know what codependency is and might struggle with codependency because that is something that you can also get 12-step recovery for absolutely um so codependency for me was um i don't have the like the definition for it but what it looked like for me was depending on someone else to make me feel whole yes and if they didn't if they weren't if they were mad at me one day then i felt I couldn't go on with my day normally. Yes. Um, I always needed approval and validation from this specific person, whoever I was honed in on at the time, right? And so I needed that approval. And if they were going through something, I needed to fix that in order to be okay. It, it can apply to my son as well. Um, it can apply to um, my identity being tied to you, yeah. right? And if you left, then there was something wrong with me. It was always something wrong with me. What did I do? Yeah. I never looked at, you're just not supposed to be in my life or God has something different or they were never supposed to be there. You forced it, right? Because I would ignore the red flags. And so codependency, when I wrote out for my book, when I wrote out some of the things, it looked like prison. It looked like um, darkness. It looked like um, anger, jealousy, envy. I mean, I could walk into a room by myself and feel I could talk I could do anything in the world right but if I walked into the same room with the person that I was with Ugh. I shrunk mm -hmm. I could not I couldn't be me yeah because I was worried about if they were looking at someone else because as a child my father I in my mind chose my stepmother yeah. right so he chose her so all my life I looked for people that chose her as well and it it, it engulfed me and that's where the codependency came in which also had me choose people that were not good for me yeah. that were not on my same level spiritually that were not and so so that i could fix them i could change them i could make them be what i wanted them to be yeah. um and i ended up getting help for that by going to uh several i've gone to 
I went to a one four week program and I went to a two week program or a one week program. And and that was how long into your recovery? Oh, that was 15 years the first time and then 26 years the second time. Yeah. Because I, I refused to stay stuck. I refused to harm myself or stay miserable because of the stigma of, oh, you've been sober this long yeah. or you have this faith, which brings me to the mental illness part. You know, the codependency, I've dealt with that. Um, I'm in a healthy relationship today where none of those things exist because I did the work and because I have Jesus forefront, because I work my 12 steps um, and help other people. But the mental illness part was something the last six months. I'd, I had always been on um, antidepressants since I was, I can't even, since I got sober, I was on antidepressants. And last year, I guess around January, I decided to, with my doctor's help, get off of them. Mm -hmm. And it was okay until it wasn't okay about three months ago. And I started feeling like I was not myself anymore. I was disconnected. I was nothing what felt hopeful. Nothing felt, I felt nothing. Like yeah. nothing was exciting anymore to me. My daughter, I looked at my kids and like, I was like, just nothing. I felt disconnected from life. Yeah. And it went on and I kept thinking to myself, I can't go get medication again. I'm just gonna pray this away. Now I'm a mental health advocate. Yeah. Telling other people that if you need help, you need to get help. Yeah. Yet in my own mind, I'm like, I've got to pray. God's going to remo remove this from me. What made you stop in the first place taking that medication? What What went through your mind? Or why did you to feel To be honest need? with you, I was going to the doctor because of weight gain. And he said that this medication caused weight gain. Yep. And if you want to get off of it, then it'll help you. Yeah. And so I did that. Um, and I believed that I was good. And I, I literally felt good for months. Yeah and until i didn't anymore and i fought it and fought it and fought it and was like god's gonna remove it this is gonna work this is gonna work and finally the people that loved me that loved jesus said you need to get help anika you need to go talk to a doctor yeah. and i finally went and talked to the doctor got medication two weeks ago maybe a week and a half ago and i'm able to sit here and talk to you today yeah and feel hope again because I was willing to surrender to the help that was out there instead of playing like there's a stigma around faith and mental illness and faith and addiction and faith and all of these things that if you have faith yeah. that you shouldn't go through these things anymore and that is absolutely a lie yeah um I believe he can do miracles I believe in the same Jesus that did miracles I believe he's the same yesterday today and tomorrow but I also believe that he gave us resources and he Absolutely. that faith without works is dead. Absolutely. There is so much in there to impact. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I just, when I talk about this, I'm very. So um, a lot of us struggle with, you know, trying to pray it away. Um, we wanted to pray our addiction away. And that is something that, like you said, can definitely be done, but you know, there's, there's always going to be things that come up. And so, um, I've experienced the same thing, you know, um, I've gone through situations where I'm sober, I'm doing great. You know, I went to treatment and all those things. And a, a few years into it, my husband went to treatment and I was a, basically a single mom for those three months. And I was feeling like I couldn't get out of bed. I was feeling like, you know, worthless. I didn't have um, any energy. There were so mm -hmm. many things there. And 
I believe it was Jesus, whispered in my ear and said, you need to call your doctor. You need to go and um, get on some medication. This is what mental illness looks like. Mm. And it doesn't have to happen, you know, for me, it's not all the time. It wasn't something that I struggled with, but at that time I struggled with it. So some people struggle with mental illness um, and that's why they can't get sober. Some people struggle with mental illness after they get sober. Some people struggle with mental illness just in short periods of their life. Um, and that's why we have counseling to balance that out. And so mental illness, I mean, that in and of itself is a whole other show, but that looks very different um, for everybody. And it's so important, you know, we say that walking with Jesus is a personal story. So is your recovery. So is, you know, dealing with your mental health. Um, and if you need resources for any of that, please reach out to us because we're here to help you. We're here to, we've walked before you. And so we have a little bit of those resources and can walk you through what that looks like. Um, we are not doctors, but we do have people um, that can help with that kind of thing. So um, let's talk a little bit about, you know, we talked a little bit about trauma. Mm -hmm. um, what does trauma look like? Because a lot of us out there don't realize that our trauma is tied to mental illness, is tied to our addiction, is tied to our choices. Um, so if you are a significant other that chose a loved one, you know, that needs to go and get sober. There are reasons for that. And so a lot of that has to do with childhood trauma. And so can you talk a little bit about your trauma and how it, you know, correlated with your addiction and with your mental illness and how you've sought help for that? Absolutely. Well, I talked about the choices that I made with men and um, my reactions to people. Um, my trauma, I felt unloved. I have two core wounds that I know are very strong in my life, unlovable and un incapable. I mean, un not important and not lovable. And so I went through life and my reactions to friends, relationships was very, I was very offended. Mm -hmm. Everything offended me. Um, I took everything personally. I reacted extreme. My, my reactions were very extreme. I, the people that I put around me were a, res a direct result of my trauma. Um, <clears throat> like I said, I, I believe that my codependency has everything to do with, and trauma can be, you, you can have lived with a, a sibling who didn't have the same view of what happened and they didn't feel the trauma, but it's the way that we perceive what yes. is happening to us. Yes. And I perceived what was happening with my, with different situations in my life as I'm not, it was me yeah. because as a child, like I've learned this through therapy is that if we're being neglected in any way, we can't think that it's our parents that are neglecting, that it's their fault. It has to be our fault yeah. or else we can't live because if we believe it's their fault, then what are we going to do to take care of ourselves as growing up? Yeah. So we automatically start internalizing. If we're neglected in any way, I need to be better. Yep. I need to do better. I am not enough because I'm not doing enough. Mm -hmm. um, if I don't meet this expectation, then I'm not going to be enough or I won't be loved. And what happens is when you have children, you pass that on to your children because your ego is tied to identities. My identity is tied to my worth, my identity, everything instead of Jesus is tied to these things. Mm -hmm. And so when you have kids, then your kids have to deal with your ego being, and they need to do certain things in order for you to be okay yep. and for you to look good. 
because I'm still dealing with trying to get validation that is not needed. It's like, I'm enough just because of who I am, not because of what I do for anybody. That's another thing is I would always feel like there's no one that can love me, friends or anyone else, just because of who I am mm -hmm. and my character. It was always because of what I did for you. So I would help you find jobs. Yep. I would get you help you find cars. I had to help you in some kind of way until, and when I did a fist step several years ago, um, the woman doing my fist step said, you're an ego driven savior. And I was like, I do not appreciate that. <laughs> I am an angel, a saint that saves people is yeah. what I am. And I realized that going to get help for my trauma is I absolutely was trying to get help. I was trying to fill that validation, yeah. the void that I had with helping people, whatever that looked like. And it can turn itself into, I just did a Bible study on false gods and how even good things can become false gods. Even things that were meant for good and gifts can become false gods to us. And that had become my son being this or being that and my daughter being this or attached to this. And yeah. um, so that's how my trauma has shown up. And the, the way that I have, um, I've done the work around it. I've met, I meet with a therapist, I've done EMDR, I've done ETT, I've gone to trauma workshops. Um, I accept that I have things that have to be worked on and I don't, I don't shy away from it. Yeah. So May is mental health awareness month and it's also mother's day. So um, talk to us a little bit about being a mother in recovery, um, being a mother that has struggled with trauma, struggled with addiction, struggled with mental illness. Hmm. Um, you know, what tools do you put in your tool bag to become a better mother because of that? And how do you, raise your children differently through your new lens. Oh, totally different. Um, so my son, unfortunately, got the part of me that was very traumatized. Um, and I chose men over him a lot of the time. He was there, but I, if he didn't want something, if the guy did, then that's what we did. Yeah. And so unfortunately, my son had to, had to experience more of my traumatic lenses. I was, I was always sober, and so I did the best that I could. And now, that I've done the work and I see a different perspective and I see I come from a place of worthiness rather than a place of unworthiness, mm -hmm. then I treat my daughter. First of all, I didn't give my son a lot of rules and regulations because it came from a place of guilt, right? So I was always trying to make up for what I didn't do. Yeah. And now dealing with my daughter and my son is learning how my fears are my fears. I don't have to portray them on them. Yeah. Um, if I have problems with ego or body image or any of those things, I don't put that on my children. I'm very careful with my words. I'm very careful with what I speak out of my mouth, um, the way that I react. I mean, I still have moments where like something happens and I react, and um, but I'm more aware of it today. I'm like, oh, okay. So the tools that I use is obviously prayer. I talk to people about it. I read um, stuff that has to do with parenting. I constantly do the work on myself so that I don't, that the, that it stops here, yeah. that the generational trauma stops here in my family because it's, it's a, it's been a long time coming. And so that is how dealing with my kids, especially one that's 18 versus the one that's eight, the difference in it. Sure. We talk a lot about generational trauma on this show. And um, I love that you brought that up because that is something that, you know, I wanted when I went to treatment, that's something that 
you know, the buck stops here. Um, and so same thing. I mean, if there is something that comes up for me, a lot of times it has to do with body image. Mm -hmm. Um, cause that was my first addiction was body image. Um, I try not to share anything with my daughter. She's at that funny age where her kids are growing up and out and up and out. And, um, you know, that's just something that I, I try to hold my tongue. And I think that that's very important. Oh, yeah. Um, Talk a little bit about um, the healing process and, you know, what that looks like today. The healing process is um, constant work on myself, waking up every morning and doing the things, immediately getting in, into prayer and meditation, immediately getting on my knees, asking God to, to help me throughout the day. Healing looks like I've got a therapy appointment at four o'clock today. Healing looks like going to meetings, having sponsees, continuing to help other people, telling people my story. Um, all of those things are ways that I continue to heal and not stay stuck, right? Um, the work, I don't believe the work ever ends. Yeah. I'm constantly seeking to become a better version of who I am and who God has created me to be. So Anika, tell us a little bit about what you're doing now with your work and how people can reach out to you and how you can help other families out there that are watching. Well, I am, for the last year, I've been working with a woman named Christina Wanzelak out of um, California. I met her several years ago when she came to speak, her and her mother, because they wrote a book called The Lost Years, which deals with their own memoir and family and addiction. And so we've been working together the last year. We do interventions. I, I kind of shadow her right now and really do the intervention, but it's very powerful because I've been doing this work yeah. for 20 something years. And so what we do is if we've got a family in crisis with addiction, they call us and we do an assessment. We find out what is going on because addiction is not just one person going through something. Sure. The entire family needs an intervention. Sure. And Christina and I um, work together to do that. She's out of California. I'm in Texas. And so we kind of hit everyone. So we want to help anyone that is seeking help with, like, with addiction, with mental illness. And we're going to point them in the right direction. So it looks like getting the the um, information from the family, finding out what's going on, where it started, like everybody's version of what's going on, and then directing them to the best place for them, not just sending them anywhere, but making sure that they get to the right place and actually doing the intervention the day of, because a lot of families have tried several times and the person is not willing to go. And I can say that a lot of people feel like the only way that someone can go to treatment is if they want to. Yeah. And that wasn't my story. My story was my family intervened on me and here I am 26 years, 27 years later. So yeah. that's what I'm doing today, working with full circle um, interventions. Awesome. Um, for those of you that don't know, it's not what you see on TV. Interventions are formal training. They're to help your loved one get into treatment and say yes to treatment and really raise their bottom. Same thing happened to me. My parents did an intervention on me and that's what allowed me to um, say yes to recovery and yes to treatment. And so that resource is available. Um, you can find it at frombeardofthebible.com or you can contact Anika via the show. That's exactly, you know, what the show is for is to give you hope, to give you love, um, to share our story so that you're not alone. Um, we have thoroughly enjoyed your presence today, Anika. We're Thank so you. glad that you came to be on the show with us today. Uh, remember to like, share, and visit us at frombeardofthebible.com and we'll see you next time. Thank you for tuning in to this week's From Beer to the Bible. Make sure to tune in next week when Irvin and Sarah gift you with even more addiction recovery information. Make sure to like, share, and subscribe. 
You can find us on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And remember, we're always there for you.